welcome to Watch It Baptist Church Online. My name's Mike, I'm the pastor at WBC. Thank you for joining us, it's great to have you with us. We're starting a new series, it's going to take a few sessions, quite worked out exactly how many, maybe four or five. And we're going to be focusing on worry and different ways of thinking about it, different things that the Bible says about it, different perspectives that we might bring to worry. And I think this is very relevant for us. There are all kinds of ways in which worry is a very real day-to-day thing for us, all the way through from a kind of anxiety that is uh, actually to do with good or poor mental health and how we manage that, but also the way in which the world expects us to function. And I think very often, much as the world expects that we take our value from how busy we are, which is not at all a Jesus way of seeing things, I think sometimes we're also encouraged to think that the more we have to worry about, the more important our life probably is. So worry can be attached to a sense of worth as well. And people who don't worry are sometimes considered to be people who just don't have anything to worry about. And so their life is small or, or you know, they're not taking things seriously. So we've got to be aware of how our culture feeds into that too. We're going to start by looking at Luke chapter 12 in this part one. And we're going to be reading from verses 22 to 34. And then we'll be looking at some of the points that I've noted. Uh, there will be loads more than, I, than I'm bringing today, but to look at some of those points as we explore what worry is and how we respond to it. Before we go any further, though, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the Bible, for your scriptures, for all the people who heard your voice, inspired by your spirit, and revealed you to us in how they wrote. So we pray that we would have the Holy Spirit in how we hear as well, how we listen and understand. We pray for your Holy Spirit to inspire what we take in and how we process it, recognising that when we understand your word well, we receive your blessing, we see your character, and we can trust you with greater depth. Amen. Right then, here we are at uh, the Holy Well at St Decumans. This trickle of water behind me is that well, the kind of dark triangle, uh, rectangle there is where the well is, uh, and there are the steps that uh, I've walked down to get here. It is uh, a different kind of environment, it's nice and still. Probably the noise of the water is uh, coming through to you, and, and if it's coming through too loud, um, I hope it's not too much of a distraction. Uh, we're going to start then reading from Luke 12, uh, and we're, as I said, beginning at verse 22, and it says this. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. For life is more than food, and the body is more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than birds. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? And since you do not, since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the wildflowers grow. They do not labour or spin, yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendour was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and gone tomorrow, or here today and tomorrow thrown on the fire, rather, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it, for the pagan world runs after these such things. And your father knows that you need them. 
but seek his kingdom and these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Save your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Okay, before we dive into some of these points that I want to draw your attention to, I'm going to do two bits of context first. We always look at context, sometimes it's, it's historical context, sometimes it's literary context, and sometimes it's both. In this instance, the thing I want us to pay attention to is what's come just before this passage. We haven't got time to read all of it, but I will tell you a couple of things. One is that up until this point, Jesus has been talking to a crowd of people. And at the start of this passage, it says he addresses his disciples directly. So there's a change in Jesus's tone and audience at this stage. He stopped talking to a crowd. He started talking to those who've chosen already to follow him and have committed themselves to that. This is advice for how to live a kingdom way rather than something more broad. The second bit of important context is that that passage just beforehand talking to the crowd, there's a parable in it and that parable has been triggered by a question. A brother has asked Jesus in his role as rabbi to make a judgment about how much inheritance this guy is supposed to have. He basically says, can you can you make a judgment so that I get my share of the inheritance? There's a suggestion that this might be because he's a younger brother and an older brother isn't sharing out the way he should do. We don't really know. But Jesus goes on to tell a parable, a story to illustrate, about how uh, a guy who is quite successful with his farming decides that he's going to build barns in order to store all his stuff and as he goes about doing that he then goes hang on a minute if I have bigger barns then there's more stuff and I can store more stuff and and then I'll have more stuff and Jesus challenges that he points at it and he says there's something about this that isn't right and it's that issue that Jesus is, is dealing with the tackling to do with where people find their security and what they trust in that leads to this passage and this advice to disciples so it's important that we recognize that context because from it we can make sure that we don't come to the wrong conclusions about what's being said and we'll touch on those in a little bit so if we look at verse 24 first of all we can see that Jesus has taken a concept which he explains at the start of this passage and he's looking for ways to explain it or or illustrate it uh, and to do so clearly and and actually quite boldly. So the concept we have at the beginning, it says this, Therefore I tell you, disciples, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear, for life is more than food and the body more than clothes. So there's his concept. He's, he's now kind of like a, a newspaper story. You kind of get the whole story in the first sentence or two, and then it explains more of it later. Actually, as, as we might discover at some later point, there are ways in which lots of Bible writers do this too. There's a, a way of understanding Revelation where we say verse, uh, chapters 2 and 3 have these letters to seven churches, and everything that follows builds on those letters rather than being separate from them. Anyway, so Jesus builds on like, this concept with some examples or some illustrations. And he says, consider the ravens in verse 24. 
Now in Matthew's Gospel, the, the parallel passage, which is in uh, Matthew 6, 25 to 34, just talks about the birds of the air, but Luke specifies ravens. And our understanding is that the reason he does this is, is through the lens of Leviticus 11, and a passage in Deuteronomy as well, that talk about ravens, particularly that they are unclean and worthless. So Jesus is saying, look at the ravens, these, you know, off-limits, insignificant, unimportant, unclean birds. Yeah, the people wouldn't go anywhere near them because Jesus had declared them unclean. And yet, despite them being unclean, God cares for them. He provides for them what they need. Actually, and when we look at, at 1 Kings, I think it's 18, it might be 19, we see an occasion when God sends ravens to Elijah to feed him. God seems to like this idea of taking things that are considered unacceptable and using them to make a point. So here we have Jesus saying, ravens, unclean, really precious to God, he cares for them and provides for them. You are not unclean and you're not insignificant and you're not worthless. In fact, you're worth loads. You're worth so much more than birds are. So how much more interested is God going to be in making sure that you are provided for? He's not disinterested in providing for ravens. He's going to be way interested in providing for you. And having just come off the back of this passage where Jesus has been giving this parable about where security is found, this is a way of saying to the disciples, pay attention. I'm going to give you this massive contrast that shows you how important you are to God, how much he cherishes you and therefore how much he will care for you. So there's that. And then in verse 25, Jesus uh, takes a, uh, a slightly different tack. So he says, um, who of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life? Since you can't do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? There's a thing there, isn't there, about saying uh, the ravens are provided for without asking and without having um, storms or barns, which is what he's just been talking about in the parable, of course. So they don't have any of that stuff, and yet God is caring for them, is looking after them, is interested in them. Why would you worry when God is going to take so much interest in you and be so interested in caring and providing for you? And you, uh, this funny little thing about not being able to add a, a single hour to your life, there are uh, a number of scholars now who think that probably a better uh, description of that would be you can't add another inch to your height. Uh, or I think a cubit, actually, is the, is the translation. Not add another cubit to your height. So that's a measurement from wrist to elbow. But you, know, you can't make yourself any taller. Um, so, you know, what good does worrying do? And actually, when, we, when it comes down to it, God cares for the ravens, so he's going to care so much more for you. He will provide what you need. And then, in verse 27, we see uh, a consideration of how the wildflowers grow. Consider how the wildflowers grow, that they do not labour or spin, yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendour was dressed like one of these. So the word I want to highlight here is the word consider. So the, the Greek word behind it doesn't mean study carefully. It doesn't mean weigh up or, or investigate. It means have a glance at. Just, just one quick look. And so what Jesus is saying is, even at a glance you can see how well-dressed the wildflowers are. Never mind the ones that are in nicely tended window boxes or whatever the equivalent was in uh, first century Palestine. He's seeing 
they are so beautiful and more beautiful than Solomon was in all his splendor. And they're just wildflowers. And let's face it, says Jesus, they're there one minute and the next minute they're gone or, or actually they're thrown to the fire. And God's not going to throw you into the fire. The Father is way more interested in you than that. He's happy and interested in clothing these flowers so they're beautiful. How much more interested is he in you? How much more confident can you be? Where actually are you going to find your security? Where are you going to find a place where you can be at rest and at peace? Because if the only place you can find peace is in a barn full of stuff, then you're hitching your wagon to totally the wrong horse. You're relying on all the wrong stuff. And I think at its heart, this is what the passage is about. It's about dependence. So when, when Jesus is saying, don't worry, in this passage, he's talking about the worry that comes from the idea that we might not get by. We might not have enough. That we might not have what we need in order to be all right. And what Jesus is saying is, just stop a minute and think about the character of the Father, what he's like, how he thinks of us, how he treats us. If you pause and think about that for a minute, it should have an impact on how anxious you might be about whether you will have what you need. Some of, of this means that we need to have a think about what it means to need something and, and which things we feel that we need and which we don't. And that's a very different set of circumstances for us now than it was for the audience in the first century. The reality is that for us there is a sense of needing a whole load of things for a whole load of different reasons. And sometimes we might give ourselves a hard time about feeling that we need something that other people might find to be a luxury. And to be careful with this because if we go from thinking we shouldn't worry to beating ourselves up for thinking that we need something that other people would find a luxury, then actually we've again we've got distracted. And we've started to do comparison between us and others rather than a focus on what the Father is like and what he offers, what, what he's promising. You'll notice that I very deliberately haven't said you know, this kind of thing would count as a need and that kind of thing wouldn't. I think it really does vary. You will know, I'm sure I do, of people who've um, found themselves without a car and therefore unable to work because the job they were doing required them to travel and, and now they can't do that because the place that they went to work at isn't covered by public transport need is going to vary our, our concept of it our understanding of it is going to vary ultimately jesus is not trying to draw a, a differential thing between what counts as need and what doesn't he's saying when you have worry based on whether you're going to have what you need you earth that best with the father So just to go back over it, we've had a look at context, we've had a look at uh, ravens, we've had a look at adding to your height, and we've had a look about uh, wildflowers as well. So the next thing to look at is in verse 29 where it says, uh, do not set your heart on what you'll eat or drink. That, that set your heart thing is sometimes translated differently, so sometimes it's called do not be troubled. In, in either case, the thing that is being driven at here is just slightly nuanced differently. Hey, hello. 
So apologies for the brief pause. I've just met 26 week old um, beauty who was very keen to meet me and lick me and leave muddy marks on my jumper, uh, but it was lovely to, to encounter. We're going to go on now to look at verse 29, where we have this phrase, which is, uh, do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. Now, sometimes that's translated as, do not be troubled. And there is some discussion about what's actually going on with the word here, because it, there are three other times when Jesus says, don't worry, and it's the same Greek word, but this is a slightly different one, and there are different uh, understandings of what that word might mean. There's going to be three of them here. One is um, don't be presumptuous, which is an interesting way of looking at, at worry, isn't it? I, it suggests a kind of a having already decided how things are going to play out and therefore being worried about something which actually might not happen. So there's that. There's a second which is don't be in suspense. So the, the way this Greek word is understood is because it's a fairly rare word. Uh, in the New Testament, it's, it's about being up or, or raised or suspended or something like that. Um, so you have this, don't be presumptuous version, but you also have this, don't be in suspense version. So don't be sort of like a cat on hot bricks, kind of, where's it going to go, where's it going to go? And the third is don't be blown off course, because there's a kind of a sense of, of um, navigation at sea in, in some of how this word was used. So it's Kind of the idea that you, you come up on the waves and you can see lots of things but actually you don't have very much control uh, and because you're you're up high the wind can take the ship wherever it takes it and, and you won't have any control over that so it's kind of a don't be blown off course thing now all three of those give us a slightly different flavor and and i suspect there was a particular thing that jesus was wanting to say for what it's worth i think the don't be blown off course thing um, from what i've read of scholars makes as much sense as any uh, but anyway, around this this idea of, of Jesus using different words to say that don't worry, don't be anxious, don't be uh, there's no need to be concerned, all that kind of thing. I think it's helpful for us to see that Jesus is able to come at this concept of of worry from different angles, so not just a kind of a uh, a sat quietly feeling overwhelmed kind of way, but but also in a kind of how things look when I look ahead and, and assume how things are going to work out various other things too so that's verse 29 I want to kick on now to verse 33 and we are 20 minutes in and I do want to wind us up fairly soon in verse 33 Jesus says sell your possessions now again with the context that we've got from before we can see that what Jesus is pushing at here is not being dependent on the wrong things and the idea that possessions might become a focus of what we're dependent on and so he's saying why don't you get rid of some of that so that it's not a distraction so that actually your dependence is on the father where it is appropriate for it to be notice that he's not saying sell all your possessions he's saying sell your possessions take away some of that uh, sort of false security so that it isn't something that you end up being trying to be secure in we also know don't we from the acts of the apostles that um this was understood enough because people still met to be churches in their homes so they still owned property they weren't getting rid of everything but they were selling things uh, as was appropriate so let's see if we can round things up uh, a couple of quotes that i want to bring to your attention and then perhaps an idea of where we might land this martin luther wrote pray and let god worry 
We know, don't we, that God is better at things than we are. If there's any worrying to be done, it's better that he does it than that we do. Worry uses up energy for us. In fact, uh, Ecclesiastes and some of the other wisdom literature uh, of uh, the Jewish people, uh, which includes things like Maccabees and Sirach that that form part of the Apocrypha, but not part of our regular Old Testament. Um, those, Those books, Ecclesiastes and the others, suggest that worry leads to a lack of sleep and bitterness and exhaustion. And I think each of us would say that our experience of worry does tend to take us in those directions. And that makes sense of Martin Luther's quote. With a slightly different take, but also very useful, Corrie ten Boom uh, says this, Worry is carrying tomorrow's load with today's strength, carrying two days at once. It is moving into tomorrow ahead of its time. Worrying doesn't empty tomorrow of its sorrow. It empties today of its strength. Jesus tells us, doesn't he, not to worry about tomorrow. Because tomorrow has enough worries of its own. And doesn't that sound very much like what Corrie ten Boom is telling us? That actually we start trying to live tomorrow, looking ahead, being presumptuous about what it might bring. Then we're only asking for trouble. And we're only sapping our energy. And there are plenty of joyful things that Jesus wants us to see. Things the Father is giving us that we will miss if we're worried. So there needs to be a so what that goes on here as well. How do we not worry? I'm not sure that I can give you an answer to that one. I think if I knew the answer, I'd be using it and uh, I wouldn't ever worry. And that's certainly something that I do. It's very important, very often for me, when I'm delivering this, uh, these talks, this teaching, I find myself thinking, well, this is something I need to hear. And that's certainly the case with this. What I would say is that there needs to be an honest self-awareness about why we worry, what we worry about. What triggers our worry? What, where our worried feelings first started? What we remember worrying about when we were smaller, younger, or just at a different phase in our life. And being honest about what a worried mind feels like. I think probably each of us would have different ways of describing that, but to be able to be honest about what it feels like to worry is going to help us bring that to Jesus, bring that to a Father who is really interested in us. Notice that in the passage, Jesus says, uh, the Father has been pleased, your Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. And just before that, the previous sentence, he said, seek his kingdom and these things will be given to you as well. So seek a kingdom that's already being given. And in seeking that kingdom, know that everything that you need will be provided. At the heart of that is the idea that the best place for us to be when we're worried is nearer the Father. He's going towards him and saying, I don't know, I don't know how this is working, it bothers me, I'm worked up about it, I feel like I'm going round in circles. Unless we're honest about that, there's no room in our minds for Jesus to come in and be part of how that might change. Ultimately, there is nothing more disruptive. Is it nothing? It, it, It quite possibly is. Nothing more disruptive to our relationship with the father and our ability to grow in jesus nothing more disruptive than this tendency that we have to not be honest about who we are to not make space in our soul for him to come in and make things different we've talked about the holy spirit recently the holy spirit we're not going to welcome the holy spirit in to change us and renew us unless we make a space on purpose for him to come and do that 
Jesus is calling for dependence here, a dependence that's put in the right place and that is healthy. Rick Warren says this, the more you pray, the less you'll panic. The more you worship, the less you worry. You'll feel more patient and less pressured. And that's because when we rest in the Father, and we allow the Holy Spirit to shape us, we are so much closer to his peace that actually the perspective gets healthier. We get a better, clearer idea of where we're supposed to be and how this works best. We allow, we allow God to work with us like he always intended to, walking alongside us and enjoying our company as we enjoy his. Let's call it there. Let's say a prayer and then let's ask our three questions. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your guidance and your teaching about worry. We are aware that worry can be a big part of our lives and our church, of our world. And we pray that we would be and stay receptive to that care that the Father wants us to receive. And we pray that we would make space for the Holy Spirit to show us that care, to take us to places that are peaceful, and where we get a healthy perspective on the things that we're worried about. Amen. Okay, then let's ask some questions. Let's start with question one. What makes you worry? In what ways do you feel like you don't have enough or might not have enough? Where are the areas where you feel less secure? Be honest about them. There will be people around you, disciples around you, or just caring people around you who are actually really interested in why you worry and in helping you get perspective on that they may not be able to take away the things that worry your mind but they may well be able to just encourage you to see a different angle on it or a bigger picture or possibly just to to get closer and cling to the father who has given you the kingdom but let's start with that honesty what is it that makes us worry in what ways do we feel we might not have what we need? Question two, how can we show each other an example of not worrying? It's really easy for us, I think, to uh, hear somebody who's worried and show that we understand that by saying that we're worried too. And that's really important. Empathizing with each other is a big part of helping people feel that they're heard and understood. And long, alongside that, as disciples, it's good for us to provide an example, to, to model a less worried way. And people of peace, people who are content, people who are less inclined to worry, can be a really important reassurance and bringer of confidence. So that question does become really important. How can we show each other an example of not worrying? Question three, what are the Bible passages, the verses, the, the stretches of, of the Bible that encourage us not to worry, that, that help us feel less worried or more confident in the Father? It may be that you can't think of any off the top of your head, in which case if those are people around you, if you can, listen to theirs and maybe steal them off them, nick them and take them home and use them as your own too. Maybe you're not with other people at the minute, but actually this would be a good opportunity to 
to say, right, I'm, I'm going to have a little look. I'm going to maybe you know, look online or, or look for some of those stories in the Old and New Testament where I think maybe God talks about being with his people. Now, let's find places in the Bible where we can take root and be confident that this care which Jesus describes the Father as having is something that's real and we can experience. We can remind ourselves of it by turning to the Bible. So the question is, what are the bits of the Bible that might help you worry less? Okay, so that's it for today. It's been great to look at this question of worry. And it would be good, I think, to continue looking at some of the ways in which the Bible encourages us to understand what worry is and how we respond to it. And I'd encourage you to be honest with yourself about why you worry, maybe to share it, certainly with the Father, who encourages you to seek the kingdom that he's already given you. To go to him or maybe to people that you trust and say, these are the things I'm worried about. Can you help me? Is there anything you can do to back me up or to help me keep a good perspective? May this amazing Father who cares so deeply for us remain with us and bless us at this time and always. Amen. Take care. I'll see you soon.